Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. As you'll know if you've been travelling along with us, we're trundling very nicely through the Gospel of Matthew. If you're here for the first time, a quick mention of the fact that you can connect to many aspects of the ministry by following links in the episode notes where there are other resources and teaching material all freely available to you. And there's also always a transcript of everything I say within the episode notes of the podcast. doesn't really matter where you're grabbing your podcasts from. There should be a link there to episode notes with all that stuff in it. But anyway, with that in mind, we'll jump in and continue through the text of Matthew. And I'll see you at the back end just to update you about a few things. Bye-bye for now. Hi friends, welcome back. And today we're continuing this amazing journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And I think we've reached a really important point, a really helpful point, a passage which really helps us get an insight into understanding our fallen human nature. It's often given the heading in most Bible translations as the temptation of Christ. Now, I've heard ministers and preachers talk about these things called trials and temptations, and every now and again they throw in the word test for good measure. For most of my early Christian life as a young man, I must confess, I had no real idea of what the difference was between these three things. What is the difference between a trial and a temptation? And in turn, how does that differ from a test? What's the distinction? What's the difference? How do you know if what you're going through is a trial? And how do you know if it's actually maybe a test? And what is the temptation that might lie within it? And what's the difference between those things? More specifically, if we find ourselves faced with a temptation, how do we overcome it? Well, I believe there are lessons, great lessons, helpful lessons that we can learn here. I can't think of a better passage to explain all of these things than that passage here recorded in the first 11 verses of chapter 4. What I'm going to do today is we're going to read the whole passage initially and then we'll come back as usual and work through it verse by verse. So picking up in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 it tells us this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
The devil left him, and the angels then came and attended him. So there are a few questions that this passage raises, and a few answers as well, and a few more issues beside big ideas, concepts, theological puzzles. So what I invite us to do together is to go through this verse by verse. And let's just revisit the opening couple of verses where it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, obviously, there are three temptations wrapped up here in this coming passage. And, of course, many preachers love the fact that this makes a great text to speak on because you can break it down and talk about those three distinct temptations that we saw Satan lay before Christ. But before we get into the three temptations, which we will, there are some very important preliminary questions I think we need to ask and find answers to first. For example, what are the temptations going on here? Because we know that that's how these events are described as being by the text itself. And how do they differ from a test? And how in turn does that differ from a trial? The first two verses give us the setting of this situation. But before going any further, I think we need to answer these sort of overarching, overhanging questions first. Now, if you look carefully at what is said, for example, verse 1 said, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So we can see the Holy Spirit involved in the events here. And it says he's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the devil is also involved in what is occurring here. And it is the devil that seems to be connected to the temptation part of what's going on. So that's the clue. That's a big clue. And verse 2 then tells us that Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and that he was hungry. And the fact that these two verses tell us this detail, that's the portion of that is the trial. It's not often disputed that for Jesus, these events were experienced as a trial. He'd fasted for 40 days and nights and it tells us he was hungry. So from the point of view of Jesus, this was a trial before anything else had even happened. Now, the word trial is used in the Bible, used to distinguish or talk about something that is hard or painful. It's often also used about something that might cause emotional anguish. But look at verse 1. It says he was led by the Holy Spirit into all of this. So what part does God have to play in all of this? What we seem to have is a trial, a testing and a temptation all wrapped up together in these events. So how do you divide it up? And the answer is, very simply, that what is occurring here varies as to what point of view you take from each of the protagonists involved in these uh, situations. And what's going on here? From God's point of view, this is a test. As a matter of fact, the testing of us as believers, the testing of of his people is something that God definitely does. It's definitely in God's plans for us. The verse that demonstrates that most clearly is Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, Sometime later God tested Abraham, and Abraham replied, Here I am. He was ready. That simply says, and very plainly says, that God is about to test Abraham. And when Abraham was seen to meet that test and pass it with faith and fortitude, it was that passing of that test which opened up the whole blessings of God not just for him 
but for his future family and generations. Now, from Jesus' point of view, there is clearly a difference between a trial. and if, So we're back in Matthew's text now, and we see from Jesus' point of view that this was indeed a test. The test is not to prove something is bad or wrong, but to demonstrate what is right and what is the right response. It's to prove the faithfulness of the individual on this occasion, Jesus, but also in other situations and other texts in the Bible. It's to allow the people like Abraham and others to demonstrate that they have faith. And God allows this type of testing and he allows this type of testing of Jesus because he knows how he will respond. Someone once said years ago that something does not become a conviction until it has been tested. Think about that. Sometimes we need to be tested and only then the things that we have learned can percolate. They can filter deep down into our being and our souls and then they can become deeply held conviction because they are held and lived out of our lived experience. So there's always a purpose to being tested. And there's a third thing that's been portrayed here, and that is the temptation part of what's going on. Very clearly, this passage is that, and it is Satan's part in this to tempt, to be the tempter. The word tempt has within it the core, the idea of a solicitation to evil, a persuasion to try and get somebody to do something that is wrong. And when Satan is trying to do it, he's trying to get the person he is tempting to sin. To understand those three different point of views perspectives then I believe helps put that all in place. So let me just review what I've said for you. What's the difference between a trial, a test and a temptation? Well from our point of view it is often a trial. From God's point of view the events is often a test but from Satan's point of view it is a temptation, an opportunity to tempt the individual away from the plan of God. To say it very simply, God tests, we experience trials, and Satan tempts. Satan tempts us in order to try to bring us down, but God tests us in order to help build us up, and that's the difference. Now, having said that, this passage provokes a really challenging question. If Jesus is being tempted and temptation is a solicitation to be evil, could Jesus have responded and sinned? This is one of history's great theoretical, theological questions. The question, could Jesus have sinned? Now, there's no question that he did not sin. Clear about that throughout the New Testament. In fact, the book of Hebrews actually couldn't say it any more clearly when it says he was tempted in all points like us, but remained without sin. So there's no question about the fact he did not sin. The Bible could not be any more clear about that. But the question is, could he have sinned? And then the question beyond that is, well, if he couldn't have sinned, was this in fact a real valid temptation? Now, I'm going to try and answer this without getting too technical about this, but this is what Bible experts call the impeccability of Christ. Could he have sinned? Well, let me answer it like this. The answer is, from a divine point of view, Jesus could not have sinned. God can't sin. We're told that throughout the New Testament. James 1 verse 13 specifically says that. You see, the point is, Jesus, by his and in his divine nature, cannot sin. 
But then within his human nature, what's going on there? Well, the point of this, could he have sinned within, with his human nature, but not as divine? Well, the point of these two things is the fact that these two natures of God are completely enveloped, welded together. You can't have one without the other. And because of that, his divine nature will always take precedent. So he could not have sinned. Let me try and illustrate this for you. If I had a, a six foot long, thick steel rod, I could not bend it. But if I were to take a separate six foot length of, say, computer cabling, I could easily bend, twist and manipulate it. But if I were to drill a hole the entire length of the steel rod and run the cable through it, could I then bend the cable within it? Now, I know it's a bit of a clunky analogy, but it helps, I hope, put a picture in your mind that if the cable represented Jesus' human nature and the steel rod the divine nature, and we understand that they are combined in such a way as to be inseparable, could I bend them? Well, no, of course I couldn't. Jesus could not have sinned because he is the perfect combination of the human and the divine nature. Holy man, holy God, and the one is completely enveloped by the other. But then that brings up another question. Well, if he couldn't have sinned, was the temptation real? Is it a real temptation? But hear me and hear me well, friends, because this is important. Just because Jesus could not and did not sin because of his design nature does not mean it wasn't a real temptation. It does not make this temptation not valid. Think of it this way. This is a bit like a rubber dinghy going into battle against a huge battleship. Is there a chance that the little rubber dinghy, that it can destroy the battleship? No. But is the attack real? Yes, if you put malicious people in it and they attack the battleship, of course it's real. So this situation is a real temptation. It's not a hypothetical temptation. It's not a theoretical temptation. It's a real attempt of the devil to try and tempt Jesus. And that, my friends, is a really deeply important truth. To argue about whether or not Jesus could or could not have been tempted in his nature, well, my conclusion is that he could not have sinned. But it is still, friends, and it's very important to understand it, a valid temptation, a real temptation. But you have to consider these events always from the point of view of the individual protagonists. Well, having, I hope, dealt with all the theoretical questions that surround this situation, let's consider the actual events, the actual temptations that the devil hurls at him. And let's also see if they relate to us in any way. And can there be any help to be found in the way Jesus responded? How did Jesus overcome those temptations? And can we do what he did to overcome temptations that might come our way in life? So let's look at the passage and look specifically at the three temptations of Christ. And the first one I'm going to call the temptation to disobey God's will. And by doing so, I hope you can see how I arrived at the conclusion and decided that that's what is at the core of this temptation. In other words, the temptation to disobey God's will is really what's going on here in verse 3. Which tells us the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, did the devil doubt that Jesus was the Son of God? 
footnote. In fact, the words used in the text could justifiably be translated as, Since you are the Son of God. So remember, this follows hot on the heels of the statement at the end of chapter 3. It's only a couple of verses back, and there's no chapter break in the original text. So just a couple of verses back, we heard the voice from heaven declare that this is my beloved Son. And then, moments later, in terms of the text, the first words are, Okay, since you're God's Son, and now you fasted for 40 days and night, why don't you make these stones into bread and eat them? Is there anything wrong with eating? No. Is there anything wrong with Jesus eating bread? No. Is there anything wrong with Jesus using his power to change stones to bread? Well, I would say in and of itself, no. He certainly could make stones into bread if he wanted to. So then what's the temptation? Well, listen carefully, friends, because this is very important. There's nothing wrong with eating. There's nothing wrong with changing stones into bread. They're all legitimate things. They're all actually legitimate needs and potential response to those legitimate needs. The problem is, with this situation, is Satan is telling him when and how to do it. So he could have followed Satan's lead instead of God's lead. And the Son of God says that he's willing to wait. He's willing to wait on the Father to the point where he should be fed. That's what the fast's all about. So here's the temptation. It's not about eating when you're hungry. It's about disobeying the will of God and following Satan's urges instead. The temptation here and the temptation that we will all face every day is when we are tempted to take a legitimate need and fulfill it in an illegitimate way. May I repeat that because it's important. The nature of temptation is to take a legitimate need and to fulfill it in an illegitimate way. Now, I don't know how many times in my life I've talked to people who are struggling with something and sometimes they want to argue that what they feel and what they want is a legitimate need. And I'm sure it is on many occasions. And I try not to question that. The issue is, how are you trying to get that need filled? And sometimes, of course, the legitimate need can get wrapped up in other areas. And psychologists would tell you that the responses that people are coming up are actually twisted responses and unhelpful responses to actually ways of dealing with another situation. The simplest and easiest illustration is sex. Is that a legitimate need? Well, of course it is. We all have a legitimate need. We all want to feel loved. And particularly when you understand and you frame sex within an expression of committed love, we know that it is a legitimate thing. And because of that, and it is a legitimate need, God has some things to say about how and where that need should be met. In case you're wondering, it's within marriage. So casual sex outside of marriage is an illegitimate way to try and get that legitimate need met. And of course, it's one of Satan's greatest ploy, not only in that area, but in all areas of our life. But it does actually say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that Satan tempts married people on this very issue. So that's something we all definitely need to be aware of. Now, some of you probably think, you know what, I'd never do that. Well, I'd say to you, you ought to be particularly careful because Satan often will attack us at what we feel is our strongest point. 
he didn't hesitate to boldly go up to none other than Jesus, who he knew was the Son of God, and try to get him to respond in an illegitimate way to a legitimate need. So he's certainly not going to shy away from doing that with you. So the issue in this part of this temptation is, will Jesus be tempted to step outside the will of God and also will he follow Satan's lead in order to meet his legitimate physical need, the need for food? Another point that's worth bearing in mind, which is very helpful to us because it helps us understand the nature of the tempter, the devil, is that his temptations will nearly always be attempts to get us to bend our natural God-given gifts and abilities. Let me explain. For example, the person who is gifted with charm will always be tempted to use that charm to get away with something or to manipulate people. The person who is gifted with the power of words they will use their command of words to produce excuses to justify their own conduct. And often the people who are gifted with great intelligence will be tempted to use that for themselves and not for others, to become masters of other people, not to become servants of other people, as we are commanded to in Scripture. It's a grim fact about the nature of the devil that the temptation that he likes to use is he likes to attack us where we feel we're stronger or where we feel we're most gifted. And that must be something that we must always forever be watchful of. So be careful of ever saying, I wouldn't do that. The needs of the human heart are strong and you may think you're stronger than you are. And at that point is always the danger point where the devil will try and step in and tempt you. So how does Jesus handle this specific first temptation? Well, the text is going to tell us, and it's also going to tell us how you will deal with the other two temptations that are coming up. But you know what? We'll take a break there, and we'll do that. Consider that more next time. Okay, friends, there we are. I hope you find that helpful. And we'll be back tomorrow to finish off this really amazing and challenging passage of Scripture, these first 11 verses of chapter 4. Remember, if you're hearing for the first time, take a look at the episode notes page where you'll find links there to all the different aspects of my ministry. The YouTube channel, the Facebook page, even the Patreon page. Places where I'm posting extra content, extra information, and hopefully extra resources that you find useful in your Christian life and walk. On those places, I tend to place the more discipleship-orientated courses, things that are more akin to a training course to help you develop your giftings. I'm currently got a series of 12 videos a week going on between now and Christmas, 12 half-hour videos looking at helping people develop their preaching and teaching gifts if they have one. But what I want to really say is thank you, thank you so much for joining me. For any of you that are praying for me, please, I thank you for that and please continue to do so. Pray that I may have the resources in time and in health to keep doing this and see this project, Lord willing, through to its completion. And if you have a moment and you find that this teaching and this series is helping you, then please consider sharing with other people on your social media 
kinds or wherever, those little corners of the internet that you happen to exist. Maybe by sharing a link, by liking. And if you want to make sure you get it every day, don't forget to click on the subscribe button wherever you see it. But that's it for today. I'll be back again tomorrow and we'll finish off seeing what we can learn from this passage of how Christ responded to the devil's attempts to tempt him. So I'll see you tomorrow. Bye for now.